What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguera. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. Gonna... <laughs> that's a good one, man. No, I'll tell you why. Look, I was a Welcome to Death Row Diaries, the only podcast hosted live from Death Row. Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. So we have a question from David in Orange County. What's your favorite TV show? You're kidding me, right? Yeah, he's a he's an avid listener, but David, okay. you know, step uh, your question up a little bit. Yeah, you know, uh, we get a pretty good array of television shows here at St. Quentin. We have cable, not like cable, like streaming cable, but it's like a, it's a special dish. It gets all kinds of play. There's this, there's a show that I like. It's about cars. I'm really a big vintage car guy. And it's called Count's Customs. That's the name of the place. The show is called Counting Cars. And it's got this guy named, you know, the Count. And he has all these beautiful cars he fixes up and he paints. I love that show. So if I have a favorite show, that has to be it, as well as, um, you know, another show that's it's about uh, American pickers. They pick different, you know, things that they find in garages and stuff. I just like that kind of show. I don't watch much other kind of television except that kind of stuff. Did you ever see Pimp My Ride? It was a short-lived TV series in the 90s where they would screw up people's cars. Yeah, I, I, I've never watched the show, but I know what you're talking about. It's it's like Monster Garage with Jesse uh, Jesse James, and that's like the same kind of program, American Restoration. You know, I, those are the kind of programs I like. I just love cars. I would like to see one of those shows where they come in to pimp my living room, and they're like, we installed a neon green fish tank where the fish actually jump out of the water and bite you and we spray painted a bunch of graffiti on your wall and i'd be like can you get the fuck out of my house please i don't know why you thought <laughs> that'd be a good idea they probably have a show like that they probably got a show out there like that because they got you know all these different you know pimp on my ride you know my house they, you know there's there's the the show out of la called flipping out because they do restorations of homes yeah well if you guys have any questions that are a little bit more substantiated give us a uh, a ring at death row diaries on instagram and facebook and check out our patreon feed at at patreon.com slash death row diaries all right bill let's get into it because there are a few things about this guy gary heidnick that I find interesting on the surface of this, it's just a very depraved story of a guy very unfortunately torturing a bunch of women. 
but I don't think this guy is as easy to pin down as as maybe as maybe people think. So, any first impressions yeah, no, here? You're up, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the big question is, is he actually a serial killer? Now, according to his kills, the answer is no. He only has two kills, and uh, we don't know whether this guy would have continued or not. My, my guess is he would have continued and he would have become a serial killer, but he's different. He's a different animal. And, and I've mentioned this before, that serial killers come in all shapes and colors, okay? They're all different. Uh, some more so than others. This guy here, there's a big question as to what he really is. He's developing is what he's doing. He's growing and he's evolving. But in my opinion, they just caught him early because he did, made a huge mistake. But he is and would have been one of the most depraved serial killers that we've probably run across. Yeah, we'll get into it because he had a budding cult. I don't know how he made this kind of money. I, it, that part is baffling. But he did have a few followers in a church that he started, and he grew out the Messiah-style long hair and the beard and i think that was partly to obfuscate the fact that his head was very malshapen and that was due to a childhood accident where he uh i feel like if you have a an accident serious enough to shape your head in a very weird way that it's got to affect your brain and the kids in school called him football head and when you see him with short hair his head is so oblong, it's bizarre. But when he grew the hair out, it didn't look that weird. But that's part of why I'm reserving a little bit of judgment. It seems like everything he did was so calculated, but he had enough brain injury that to where his head looked like it was injured. Yeah, I get that. Look, there's a lot of guys, people in this world that have odd-shaped fingers, <laughs> odd-shaped heads. They don't look so cool. But look, look I understand, and, and I, I'm being who I am, okay? So we had to look at his childhood, okay? So we had to see what this guy really about. And by the way, so the audience knows who this guy is, you, you mentioned the name Gary Hitnick or Hadnick, and you don't think much of him. But if you've all watched the movie, The Silence of the Lambs, the killer in that movie, a guy by the name of Buffalo Bill, this guy, Hitnick, inspired that character. The writers of Silence of the Lambs used Hitnick as the prototype for Buffalo Bill in that movie. What was the lotion in the basket thing? Because it's such a visceral thing to here and it's frightening which makes it good writing but what does that even mean well he wanted to keep the, the, the skin moisturized he wanted to skin those people and put the, the skin on his body or whatever it's been a lot of times i watched that flick but yeah, that, that, that's all fictional it's a good writing uh thing around the lamps you have you know jody foster i wasn't have, expecting uh, that you would actually explain that and now it's even creepier wow yeah well there you go you know that's what we're here for it's creep you out so, yeah, so he he was keeping these women in a basement. But why don't we uh why don't we get there later? So Yeah. Yeah, well, let's let's, let's give the, the audience kind of a hint of this cat. Okay? So, look, his parents divorced, he's 3 years old. 
he's raised by his mother, just before, and then he's placed with his father and his new wife, and look, not a whole lot to mention about his childhood except for that he was abused by his, um, you know, his peers because he had a, a, a head shaped like a football, and, and I think he plays into this a little bit. He, you know, he says that his father emotionally abused him because he was a guy who wet his bed as a child, and his father hung his sheet out the window so neighbors could see it. Well, listen, that is a movie. I watched that movie, so I think that's a lie. The, the bed wedding and the, the, the father puts his sheets out so neighbors could see it was a movie called James is 15. I watched it when I was about probably, I don't know, 12 years old. And this kid who was kind of, you know, awkward, was in love with this girl, she didn't like him too much, and then when he would wet his bed, his mom would, would hang out his sheets or he made fun of him. I think that's where he got that from. He probably didn't think a guy like Bill Noguera was going to be looking at his case and say, huh, I know that because I've read that before and I've seen a movie about that. Well, that explains that, why every yeah. single serial killer, not every, but I would say 80% of the ones that we've studied have a story about that and specifically about wetting the bed. And I think it's a bunch of bullshit and that they just saw the same movie that you did because it was probably a, you know, Friday night flick or whatever. It probably, it was a very popular series, James was 15. So anyways, so, you know, he has an odd shaped head. All of us are pretty odd in junior high, high school, but his IQ is 148. He tests extremely high and he's academically really bright. He does well at school. Uh, and then he just suddenly drops out of high school and he joins the army. He tries to become an MP. He's rejected for a number of different reasons. Then he transfers to um, San Antonio to train as a medic and immediately he is accepted. He's a smart guy. He joins the 46th Army Surgical Hospital in Germany. Once he gets there, He's doing very well, and then suddenly, he starts complaining of headaches, dizziness, blurred vision, and they diagnose him by, he's diagnosed by a neurologist who says he suffers from mental illness. And I don't know how much headaches and, you know, dizziness and blurred vision is a mental illness, but he's transferred to a mental hospital. In the, uh, in the Army, and he's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which we've heard of a million times. It's like the, the run-of-the-mill uh, diagnoses by a psychiatrist, is what the hell he's talking about, and he's honorably discharged. And he goes out to the world. Now, what does he do? He doesn't go out killing and raping. No, he gets himself a license. He becomes a, uh, 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 he becomes a practicing nurse. He's enrolled to the University of Pennsylvania. And suddenly drops out. And he tries to kill himself 13 times. And he's placed in a psychiatric hospital. And he's back in, in and out of psychiatric hospitals throughout his life. Let me call back. Come on. Yeah, so did I catch a hint of skepticism in your previous statement, or am I uh, inferring things? Because 
if I wanted to get out of the military, I could do it pretty easily. I could fake being crazy really suddenly. It's not really an issue. But I, I then wouldn't go to an institution. So I, I just want to clear up what your interpretation well, is here. The way, yeah, the, the skepticism you, you hear in my voice is because I just see this guy, and, and I, it's almost a little, it throws you off a little bit because high IQ, mental problems, it, it looks like somebody rewrote this, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. When he's institutionalized, he begins this narrative that he knows people are going to feel bad for him, they're going to let him out, so he tries it. Obviously, something's wrong with this guy. He'll attempt 13 suicide attempts unless something's wrong with you. And then, of course, if you look at the bigger picture, and I've said this before, serial killers are born, these people are born this way, his mother commits suicide by drinking mercuric chloride. Okay, so she commits suicide. There's a problem there. His brother also suffers from mental illness. He spent time in mental institution. He tried suicide multiple times as well. There is something wrong with this family. Does it excuse what he does? Nothing does. Absolutely not. But he seems to have this criminal element. He's thinking of ways to get over the system. And I've seen a lot of guys who have mental issues. They suddenly find God and become obsessed with God and this whole cult thing. But with him, it seems more about control. And you mentioned before that he founded a church. He did. In 1971, he's in 1971, he founded the church, a church called the United Church of the Ministers of God. And he opens it with $1,500, which he probably got from army pension or whatever it was they gave him. But just, interestingly enough, he's able to make those $1,500 into half a million dollars. Is that crazy or what? Well, that's not explained in any of the literature, which is limited, but that's never explained. So that's not easy to do. And he didn't have that many followers. I'm assuming it was just the classic, you know, grifting, you know, the donation plate, just bilking people out of money. But even even that doesn't really explain it. I mean, that is a huge profit that in today's terms, that's he made over a million dollars out of fifteen hundred dollars. I mean, yeah. that's fairly impressive. No, it's very impressive, and actually, they used it against him. During, after his arrest, he is being tried for these murders, and for the kidnaps, and the sexual deviancy, all the crazy stuff this guy's pulled, and he plays the crazy card. And as I've said before, there's a bit of skepticism when, I, when I'm listening to this stuff, I'm telling you about what this guy was going through as a kid and what he did in the Army, because during his trial... He plays the crazy card. He says, look, uh, the, the attorney says, my client is not responsible for what he did. Um, he has a lower a sense of culpability because of mental issues. But the DA turns around and says, okay, let's just assume that's true. So they bring in these dudes, these experts from Merrill Lynch and from all these major uh, you know, financial firms. And they show this they show how he made that money. By the way, he was not swindling people. These were done with investments. He took those fifteen hundred bucks and started investing in different stocks. And they showed these experts how he did it, 
and they were blown away with this guy's accuracy and his expertise at picking stocks. So if he was nuts, they said, well, if he's nuts, I wish I was that nuts. Because what he's done is damn near impossible. He's good at what he does. He's financially sound. And that proved that he was not crazy. And they tried him as a normal person that was culpable of the crimes he committed. Let alone the fact that when he was in this mental institution, whether he needed treatment or not, that's where he met all the, most of the people, I should say, that he tortured. So that's kind of convenient, right? right? But I I didn't know that he was actually like, another thought I had is perhaps he's on the spectrum because he does seem very focused on two things, which is making money and uh, uh, torturing and murdering black women. Well, that's, yeah, and by the way, he is white. So, yeah, it's really interesting because after he, he, he founds this church or founded the church, he meets his wife, who is a, a woman named Betty Vista. And she's from the Philippines. So he actually flies her in from the Philippines. I'm, I'm not sure if she's one of those male order brides, but they, they get married and they have a relationship, it begins to fall apart when this sexual deviancy stuff starts popping up. He is sleeping with members of his congregation and he forces his wife to watch him perform sex on these women while he is repeatedly raping his wife. And, you know, the following year she leaves him. But when she leaves him, she unfortunately finds out she's pregnant from his child. This is another part that is just not in the research, at least as far as I'm able to see. I feel like this guy styled himself somewhat after uh, Charles Manson, but where do we get to, like, what kind of congregation did he have? I, I feel like he had like five people and all of a sudden he has enough people that are willing to watch him, um, you know, do depraved uh, sex acts in front of other people. I, I don't, I just don't really get what this church was. It's not, it's not uh, detailed anywhere. Well, it, it was a fraud. It's what it was. And, and people usually that are, that have mentally, the people that have mental issues, people say they're insane or they're crazy. doesn't mean they're not intelligent and not manipulative. This, this guy's a very uh, astute manipulator and he has a way of manipulating women. Um, and his, his position is everything is about deviancy, sexual deviancy. I mean, let's, let's take a look at what he does. So after he finds his church, after his girl leaves him, he then has a child with a, a woman by the name of Gail. And as soon as the child's born, they place it in, in, uh, in foster care. During this time, he's having another child with a woman named Anjanette Davidson. And... She is actually, by the way, mentally disabled. They have a child, and that child's pays in foster care. So his, his motto is this, this, this method of operations. He's just manipulating these women. But I believe he's feeling around the dark. He's trying to figure out who he is. And then, listen to this. He is arrested for kidnap, rape, sodomy, sexual deviancy, and sexual deviant intercourse with 
the mentally disabled sister of Anjanice Davidson, who he goes to a mental institute, he signs her out to rape her and keep her in his house under uh, lock and key, and he rapes her, and of course they catch him, and they give him three years, and he goes to a mental institute for this. Yeah, that's insane. It, it, it should have seemed obvious that he was targeting mentally disabled people, minorities, however that might factor in, in, in a city that's kind of segregated. That doesn't really matter. The fact is he was ingratiating himself into institutions to find victims. This is one of the more disgusting ways of operating that we've seen, and, and we've seen a lot of horrible things. This is really disgusting to me. It is, and we start seeing, he starts, his method is developing. Remember I talked about organized killers and serial They begin to practice their craft to get better. He imprisons this mentally disabled woman in his basement. And then, of course, the rest, he's placed in the institution for three years. And what is he doing there? He's thinking. He's refining his method while he's in the institution. Because when he gets out, that spree that criminal spree and where he becomes really a killer starts. And what he does is he begins to kidnap women. One of them, and, and by the way, all of these women are African-American. Uh, Sandra Lindsay, he has her in his basement and he's torturing her. Um, but she dies almost out of lack of care, starvation, torture, and an untreated illness, which was fever, high fever, and she dies. So that's why the question is, is he a serial killer or, a guy, or just a sexual deviant that wanted to hold women and control women? I believe he was evolving, and pretty soon he began killing them. So with this woman, it's crazy because then once he, she dies, because he was elect electrifying these women, he was electrocuting these women. And he was electrocuting these women as a form of torture. And when she passed away, he did not hesitate. He dismembered her. He cut off her legs, her arms. He had some problem with that. And he couldn't get rid of it, so he, he stuck it in the freezer. He boiled the ribs and the head. And when the cops came over, very similar to our previous serial killer we talked about, because of a terrible odor, he tells them, I'm, I'm, I'm cooking a roast and it burnt, so I fell asleep and it's burnt, so uh, the, 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 the smell is going to go away. So he ends up, from all accounts, is he just basically cut up the body and fed it to the other women he had in the basement. He, he kidnapped all these women for one reason and one reason at all. That was for him to enjoy torturing them, sexually abusing, and really just controlling these people inside a pit. That's where the, the Buffalo Bill story came from and, and how they get it was from this guy. He had him inside of a pit in water. So the remains of Lindsay, he wrote on a bag dog food and he fed it to his other victims. How, how sick is that? You're a little bit older than me. But I wonder if you can speak to this era to our listeners who are younger. Now, when I was in elementary school, 
they took some of the students who were somewhat promising. I'm not sure how I got uh, grouped into that. And we looked after the uh, mentally troubled children. There just weren't any resources. And that seems probably really weird now. But during this time, I feel like it was even more easy to exploit these people. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so in terms of mental illness, and, and you asked about that, when I was younger, it was different. There was, in the 70s and 80s, the whole mental... When people were in a mental institute, people just said, oh, they're crazy. It was, that was the, the, the overall opinion of them. And of course, they weren't looked after. They, there really wasn't any standard like there is today. A lot of people in prison are also thrown in prison. And of course, they're not really looked at or diagnosed correctly. And they just think, oh, they're criminals. But they're actually people with serious mental issues and illnesses that need to be looked after by psychiatrists, psychologists, or people that know what they're doing. That was the case. But, but this guy, you could argue that we really don't care when it really comes to these kind of people because look what he's doing. I mean, he's really a terrible human being. He's torturing women. He's feeding the remains of one to the other victims. And he actually has another woman in, in that basement, in that hole, named Deborah Dudley. And what he does with her is he puts a live current to her chains. She's chained up in this pit with water in it. In essence, he electrocutes her as well. He kills her. And Again, he just disposes of the body by cutting it up and throwing it in New Jersey. No regard for the person. And it just continues on with this guy, Matt. This guy, he enjoys um, the sexual deviancy, but he also enjoys the control factor of having this woman at your disposal to do whatever he wants with them. And he enjoys torturing them. To watch a person in chains, shivering from being electrocuted in water, I don't see how this guy, what it gave him, but obviously it's a form of control, and he was receiving a a lot of gratification from it. Yeah, I'm honestly getting a little bit nauseous, because when I was reading about it, I guess I conveniently just skipped over some of these details. I didn't know that he had a pit where there was electrical torture involved, and that he was feeding people to the people that were in the basement. Maybe I just didn't want to know that. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It's exceptionally horrifying. And so how are we supposed to square the fact that he's bright enough to be a genius in the stock market? If he's aware of things, he's aware of what General Electric stock is and short selling and whatever it is. And yet he's not aware of the mental anguish of someone being tortured. It doesn't make any sense at all. Well, it, it does make perfect sense to me. He is, he knows what he's doing is wrong. He understands what he's doing is wrong. He's intelligent enough to beat the stock market and make all this money. There's something twisted about him. Obviously, there's something wrong with him. But, and although he knows it's wrong and what he's doing is horrible, he's choosing his gratification over whatever he's causing. It's like what serial killers do. They know when they kill some the person's dying, they're suffering. They're just supposed to rape and kill and torture people. But they're choosing their gratification over that of the victims. For me, it's, it's clear. 
clear as day. Well, I guess my point was that the mental illness part is irrelevant at that point, right? Absolutely. It's completely irrelevant because he knows right from wrong. And he's disengaging his mind to accept it and draw gratification from it. So, yeah, he's completely overriding the system. Let me give you a good example. Human beings have involuntary muscles. You, you, you throw your hand at someone's face, they naturally blink. An involuntary muscle is you breathing. Those are involuntary muscles. You don't have to think about them. With human beings, we have a rational ability to reason and understand when we're hurting another human being. Same thing with fighters. When someone's fighting, they have gauges and all these control systems not to hurt another person. And fighters are usually trained to disengage all those safety mechanisms so they can take it to the next level. Navy SEALs do the same thing. They drown them on purpose so they don't panic when they're drowning. They accept it. They disengage those safety mechanisms. This serial killers do something very similar. They disengage all those safety mechanisms that humans have and they draw gratification from hurting, torturing, raping, and killing people. And this guy does it perfectly. Listen what he does next. And this is within a seven to eight month period. He abducts Jacqueline Atkins, takes her to his little hole in the ground in the basement, and he begins to torture her as well. Another young woman by the name of Rivera, he also kidnaps her, and they kidnap another victim named Angus Adams. So he has all these women down that pit, and he's torturing, and he's making one of the victims, Rivera, help him. This is his profession at this point. Like, this isn't, again, not like it would excuse anything. He snapped and had an episode and did this. He's doing this for months and for months and months, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is his, this is his plan. He's going to continue kidnapping women. He's going to continue torturing, raping, and doing whatever he wants to as they die. And he'll just replace them with somebody different. He, he lost uh, Lindsay, uh, Sandra Lindsay. She died. Deborah Dudley also died. So he replaces them with Jacqueline Atkins, Angus Adams, and he continues to replace them as they die. Now, whether he had the intention to kill them or that they died of, of electricity because of an overdose of electricity or over overstimulation is, is, is irrelevant. I believe that he was torturing them because he wanted to kill them. He just wanted to see them die slowly by torturing, and that's, form, that's a form of, of, of control. It's a form of complete dominating a victim. That's what this guy's doing. Well, and Bill, even though you are... I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You're a brilliant analyst of the behavior of these people. He actually said that. He said that to the investigators. Absolutely. Which makes me think he's like a high functioning. So he's high functioning, but I still, and, and this is the question that I guess this whole podcast is about, but even if he's mentally ill, what, what are his motives? Like, how does that make it? make any more sense to us well the sense is and i think this is the easiest way to explain it to the audience and to you is that for these individuals who are serial killers who are a very small percentage of the population between 40 and 60 are in the united states 
at one time operated. They're, they function like anybody else functions. The reason they do what they do is because they have a need for it. They have a hunger for it. They can't stop themselves. It's like an alcoholic who drinks. Yeah, he understands if he drinks, he drives his car, he's going to wreck. He understands that he keeps drinking, his liver's going to... But he overrides that because of that... People call it a disease now. That alcoholism is a disease because he has to have it. I'm not going to call being a serial killer a disease, although you can argue for it. Most doctors will diagnose it as being a disease. It is not. They are born this way. This is who they are. It takes them some time, decades or years to figure out who they are. But once they do like this guy, they don't stop because their own gratification outweighs anything else. Prison time, execution, whatever it may be that they could be facing, this calling, this push, this kick inside them overwhelms them that even the consequences, it doesn't matter to them. They have to do what they do, what they were born to do, which is to do exactly what this guy's doing, which is torturing, killing, raping, controlling, and receiving gratification from the acts he's committing. Yeah, but Bill, that's not a perfect analogy because I go into the grocery store, I see someone buying a handle at Jack at 8 a.m. when I'm buying some English muffins and eggs. And I bet you that person is saying to themselves, it's my life. I can do whatever I want. And if they want to drink themselves to death and die of cirrhosis at 50, that's their right. I, I got no problem with that. But this is different because well, it's bringing... Well, this is different to the effects of the people, sure. Right. So... I can understand the rationale of that person, and in fact, I don't really have much of a problem with it. But I don't see how well, you can. You would have a problem with, yeah, but you would have a problem with it if that person, that, that alcoholic, was drinking, got in his car, and he hit your kid. So you see how that overlaps. He, he, he overrode the the sensibility of not getting in your car because you're drunk. Well, with these serial killers, it, it's a loose interpretation, but they override the consequences of killing somebody, of taking a human life, of being executed or being arrested or spending their life in prison just because they, they have to satisfy that pick inside them, that that hunger, that that hunting that they need to hunt this way. This overrides everything. It's very similar to drug addict, a drug addict who does not just makes it drug addicts or alcoholism or food for that matter, obesity. Because it kind of shows that it's not the kind of mental disability that you would say, well, if they're not responsible for eating, or they're not responsible for drinking. I'm sure that a judge is not going to say, well, he has a obviously disease and he drank, he killed four people, so we're going to let him go because, you know, he really gets a disease. No, he's responsible. These serial killers are responsible. And that goes back to your question about how culpable are they? They have a mental disease, so how much do we feel sorry for them? How much do we really hold them accountable? We hold them 100% accountable because they're doing what they're doing. They know they're doing wrong. They know what they're doing is completely against every law of the universe. They choose to ignore it to satisfy themselves. Well, then I don't think they have a mental illness. They do have mental illness, but if what you're saying is correct and I agree with you, then that doesn't uh, excuse anything about it whatsoever. Absolutely not. It doesn't excuse it all. That's what this whole thing is about. It doesn't excuse them. I don't feel sorry.
sorry for these guys. They do what they do. They are, that's why they're known as serial killers. And this guy, look, all these young women, uh, Jacqueline Atkins, Rivera, Agnes Adams, uh, Deborah Dudley, Sandra Lindsay, all these victims were basically every day living with the fear that they would be tortured to death that next day and sexually abused every day for months and months until he made a mistake. And that mistake was that he was taking Rivera with him when he would leave the house, the compound, the pits. And they went to a gas station and she was able to convince him that, you know, when these guys, and and I've seen this before, people, they attach themselves to, to items or people. You see women or men who have a relationship with someone over the internet and they give up their whole life savings and the person didn't exist. Well, Rivera, because this guy was torturing her, he was abusing her, there was a connection there. She recognized the connection. And she convinced him to let her go, to do a few things, and she would come back and continue helping her because he had already did designated her his little like helper and he let her go she ran straight to her boyfriend's house told him what was going on they called the police and they went to the house and they arrested him immediately and they find the women so eventually this guy gets caught i've seen his house it's in a densely populated neighborhood i i feel like this can't go on forever and eventually he gets uh Luckily, he gets busted, right? Well, yeah, because he made that mistake and let uh, Josefina Rivera, uh, he let her go because he felt that she was um, really uh, his helper, that she was going to continue to help him and she would come home and they'd continue this raping, pillaging, and killing. But she was a victim. She was abducted by him in 1986. She was one of the first ones he abducted. And he just felt more comfortable with her. I guess she, she played him. Psychologically, she she was smart enough to figure out what this guy, what made this guy tick, and he believed that she would come back. And what she did was she turned around, went to her boyfriend's house, they called the police, and they arrested him for, you know, they find the women in the pit, by the way, in the basement, where they're being electrocuted, they're in chains, and it's, it's a house of horror, is what it is. And they arrest him, and he basically just confesses and then rejects the confessions that he, that he was coerced into saying it. He goes to trial. They uh, try the defense that he's crazy, which they counter with the whole, this guy's better than Merrill Lynch when it comes to investing. He made half a million dollars from 1500 bucks, And he really just, I mean, it was basically it for him. They, they convicted him immediately of everything. Um, the, the movie, the book, Silence of the Lambs, was inspired by him being Buffalo Bill, the guy that put women in pits and tortured them to death. And um, so he only had two kills. That don't mean only, compared to the, some guys that have 40 or 50 kills. He had six, six kidnaps, two kills, all between 1986 and 1987. And he was caught on March 24th, 1987, same year. Yeah, I've seen a, a few interviews on TV, or maybe it's the same interview, but you can find it on YouTube of of the woman who was able to escape. And I just want to give her a round of applause. It's a feel good story, but can you imagine the hubris 
I'm thinking this person that that you kidnapped and have been torturing would have your back. I mean, it just makes me want to just drive a kitchen knife into this guy's face. Yeah, I mean, look, he's obviously something wrong with him, but I mean, his his personality, these people, they have needs. And if victims somehow, sometimes, kind of get a feel for their kidnappers or torturer or the killer, and they're able to manipulate them. And this is a case, again, you have to applaud this woman for being able to do what she did. She, she rose above her own pain, her torture, and what she's seen going on around her, and is able to manipulate this guy enough to get him caught and ultimately executed. They executed him uh, by lethal injection in 1999. And he was known as Brother Bishop. That was his nickname. I don't know what the hell that came from. Probably from his church, but I don't know where the bishop part came up. But yeah, this guy was a real, real piece of garbage here. So what would you advise that we do? Because my opinion, which I don't think is very popular, is that if you're a crazy person who has violent tendencies, uh, you're in and you're not getting back out. But I don't think that's the way that so-called progressives think about it. So, how should we... Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, it's really difficult because when they're in prison or in jail or in institutions, and if they haven't committed any crime uh, to the point where they've killed somebody, there has to be a term limit to how long they can be in prison because then it's, it's just a piece of system. And, and I understand that. But then again, you know, we let the guy out. You, you and I, Dr. Bill and Dr. Matt, we let this guy out. He's been in, you know, in an institution for six years. He hasn't shown any tendencies. Or he has, he seems to outlive them. You really can't keep them. You're thinking about how much it costs to continue with this guy in an institution at about $100,000 a year. And you're weighing all these things as a politician, as a doctor, and you let him out. And then, of course, he goes out and kills a bunch of people, tortures them. Then later on, we're playing armchair quarterback or Monday night quarterback saying, well, we should have done this. It's very difficult for us as a society or as two guys on a podcast to say what we should do with guys like this. The one side of us says, hey, lock them up, throw away a key. If they have a propensity to continue to do this, like rapists, nowadays we, we, we give them terms, which is life, and they normally don't get out because they're sexual deviants and parole boards understand this. You know, and in another sense, you, you have a young guy who gets arrested for something and you know, maybe he should be given a second chance. So it's a very difficult weighing process, and I'm glad I'm not the guy that's making these decisions, okay? I'm just glad I'm not that guy. Well, I'd be fine with it, but then again, I'm glad that we have a system that doesn't allow people to be fine with extremes, and we don't have people like Rudy Giuliani running the country who are uh, all right with dictating things that uh, that are essentially thought crimes. Let me cut that part out. Bill, I have a bit of a bombshell here. In my research on this, and this hasn't been covered anywhere because no one really cares about these two guys. You know how Heidnick had a church, right? Yes. So I was looking at some photographs of the followers of his church, and one of those guys was the unmistakable psychotic stare of one Harrison Graham. No, I'm not. It, I saw a photo of it, and you 
you can't uh, mistake that guy for anyone else. So Graham was involved with Heidnik. Wow, that is breaking news. I did not know that. They're, and they live in a close proximity to each other. They both have mental issues. They both tortured and killed women. Wow. I, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I'll... Uh... I'll send it to our people so you can look at it, but it's uh, it's pretty crazy. I was shocked when I saw it that uh, standing right next wow, to him. Yeah, then there is a connection. I mean, I don't know if anybody how, how could anybody have missed this? But well, I didn't know it. Of course, I don't have the kind of access you guys have. Well, I, I I'm just an idiot with YouTube. Maybe the authorities know about it, but in the literature I read, it said there was no connection and. And I just saw a photo of them standing right next to each other. And and we know that Graham was. A, a a Jesus guy and uh, Heidnik had a church, so of course it makes sense. Wow, yeah, that's that, that is very interesting. Maybe they, maybe they they um they talked. I mean, they're they're around the same time, so maybe they actually compared notes. I mean, we've talked about the serial killers sometimes cooperate with each other. Maybe these guys, in some way, some crazy, you know, uh, smoke induced drug addiction. Uh, moment they talked to each other about what they were doing it seems pretty likely I, I mean I was I was surprised to see it so I don't know what that means or anything but it it just it creeped me out um, yeah well both guys are pretty creepy this guy brother Bishop is one sick puppy uh, but look at least um, his numbers are low not to say that two deaths aren't too many but, I mean, he didn't get up to the 40s or 50s, and the young women that he had in that basement pit were rescued and hopefully are not waking up at night from nightmares from this stuff and have been able to go on to live productive and hopefully uh, stress-free lives. Yeah, God willing. Well, do you want to say anything else in closing, or should I just do the closing thing. Yeah, that's basically on this clown. He's not many kills and, you know, yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I'll try and post the photos to uh, Patreon or, or something like that with, with him and, and Graham. But anyway, Bill, nice talking to you as always. And uh, until next time, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William McGarrett. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can depend on it. We'll see you next time.